Hello and welcome to My Chaotic Mind, the podcast dealing with the everyday difficulties of balancing adult life and eating disorder recovery. My name is Kaz and I shall be your host in this little corner of the podcasting world. It's important to mention I have no background or training in medicine, nutrition or psychology. I simply have my own very many years of lived experience. That said, if you're sitting comfortably, it's time to come with me through the looking glass. Welcome to series three of My Chaotic Mind. Whether you're a returning listener or a brand new one, it's great to have you along. If this is your first time here, it's definitely worth going back and listening to the first episode of the very first series, just so that you've got more of an idea of my current situation and my experiences living with an eating disorder. Now, I didn't have time to put out a bonus episode for series two, but I hope that you have had the best festive season possible. Whether you celebrate Christmas or not, it's an extremely difficult time of year for anyone with an eating disorder. And that doesn't matter whether you're in recovery or not. But this doesn't end with Christmas. Each new year brings with it a further barrage of slogans. New year, new you. Make this year your year. I remember my brother sending me a photo of a discounted basket of 2020 diaries with the slogan, best year ever, emblazoned across the front. Suffice to say, I doubt they managed to sell many of those, even at a reduced price. We are encouraged to make resolutions, promises to ourselves for the year ahead. For most of my life, I've always resolved to lose weight, setting myself up for spectacular failure from the outset. Failure, which would end up making me feel even worse about myself, providing me with further proof that I was useless, lazy, and destined never to reach the magical number which would transform my life overnight. The magical number which would make me thin. These days, I don't make resolutions. Or if I do, it's something flippant such as I will not take up smoking. Of course, if setting New Year goals is something which is beneficial for you or that you enjoy doing, then there's no reason why you should stop doing this. As with all my episodes, I want to say take from them whatever is useful or relevant to you and ignore anything which is not. I'm certainly not going to sit here and pretend that I know all the answers. I am only human. I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. And just because something works for me, it doesn't mean that it's going to work for everyone else. At the beginning of every new year, certainly in my lifetime that I can recall, diet and fitness propaganda are everywhere. The foods we were encouraged to buy and consume to excess just a couple of weeks ago 
we're now advised to avoid. Gone are the heaving tables straining to support the enormous feasts as carrots dance between the platters and groups of strangers try to convince us that they are a happy family, despite only having met each other in the green room for the first time an hour before. And I will just throw in that in my past, I have done some extras work and by and large, the food they lay on for the extras is always pretty good. But I digress. Instead, we're now assailed by adverts for overpriced gym clothing, diets which promise that yes, this year we will get that job, man, dream life, if only we pay a ridiculous sum of money to spend a few months miserably sipping on a suspiciously green concoction while secretly dreaming of sinking our teeth into our favourite foods. We are sold constantly the belief that thin is everything, health is everything. If we acquire these two things, then everything else will just fall into place. Sadly, it doesn't. Although being healthy definitely helps, but health and thinness are not equal. There's literally no escape from this bombardment. The adverts are everywhere. On TV, social media, huge posters at bus stops and banners pinned to railings. The TV guide is littered with programmes promising to inform us about the dangers of fat, sugar, carbohydrates, protein and vegetables. They assure us that they will furnish us with the knowledge we need to guard ourselves against obesity, contradicting much of what they told us the year before. Members of the public agreed to lay their lives bare for our education and entertainment, guided by experts on gruelling health journeys. Who can forget the highly popular supersized to super skinny or the biggest loser or the humiliatingly named fat club changed to fit club when it featured celebrities? I am making some sweeping generalisations here. Not all nutrition, diet and fitness programmes are bad. Some of them can be highly informative, backed up with scientific research and proven evidence. This, however, does not negate the potentially triggering effects they can have on somebody with an eating disorder. Or even somebody without an eating disorder, anyone who has any sort of sensitivity about their body image at all. There are steps we can take to avoid things which may trigger us as much as possible. Things like changing our social media settings to block certain adverts and content or choosing not to watch certain shows or read particular articles. But in this day and age, we cannot guard ourselves against it completely. Even the shopping centres are no longer safe. People who aren't being paid enough lie in wait, leaflets in hand, ready to pounce and try to sign us up to their gym, their diet club, or urging us to try a brand new miracle weight loss product that, unlike every product that has gone before, will actually work. 
Even now, I feel trepidation as I walk past them. Will they call out to me, trying to press one of their shiny leaflets into my hand, confirming my belief that I'm too big? In reality, I know that they are probably just eager to give out their quota of flies so that they can finish for the day. But I'll never forget the time when, as an older teenager, I was walking through a shopping centre with my mum and we walked past a girl who was giving out leaflets for a plus-size women's clothing store and she handed one to me and I completely freaked out and had a total meltdown because in my head her giving me that leaflet meant she perceived me as being large enough to shop in that store. Now I've got nothing against plus size women's clothing stores, nothing at all. Teenage me was not big enough to shop at those stores but I was filled with horror and fear that how I thought I looked really and truly was how others saw me. And it just cemented in my brain that the eating disorder and the thoughts it was feeding to me, shall we say, were correct. Even in my own home, I am not safe from this onslaught. Along with the usual bills and occasional letter for the previous occupant of the property, yes, I'm still getting those despite having lived here for over 10 years. Glossy brochures are stuffed through my letterbox, offering me a limited time discount if I sign up to a local gym or the fellowship of like-minded people who will help motivate and encourage me on my journey to the hallowed goal of slimness. And these are usually tucked inside Leaflets for local takeaways, Chinese, Indian, pizza, whatever I want, at the tap of a key or the press of a button. Let's not forget about the chatter in the workplace. The majority of people do not have the same sensitivity to diet-related talks that those of us with eating disorders may have. Throw away remarks about skipping meals, cutting calories or being good, in inverted commas, for turning down a biscuit may be made with little thought behind them. This can make it extremely difficult if you're struggling. It's virtually impossible to control our exposure to all this noise. The only thing that we can control is how we react to it. In this episode, I'm going to share with you some of my experiences and some of my strategies to protect myself from any potential triggers in relation to all these things I've just outlined. One of the triggers for my relapse was a workplace diet. The call centre I worked in at the time ran a Biggest Loser competition every January to help motivate those who wanted to lose weight. It was a very simple setup. Participants would weigh in once a week and the leaders determined by the amount of weight lost in relation to their starting weight. I still remember the unfortunately worded sentence in the rules which stated that if someone with a starting weight of £200 loses £10 and someone weighing £100 also loses £10, the person weighing £100 will be the winner as they will have lost the bigger percentage. 
I remember remarking to my manager at the time that if someone weighing 100 pounds loses 10 pounds, they will likely be making themselves very unwell. I know this was intended as an easy way to explain the concept, but my anorexic mind completely twisted it. I interpreted it as almost a challenge. Clearly, I thought, if whoever wrote it thought a person weighing 100 pounds could stand to lose 10 pounds, then I could certainly afford to drop some weight. I realise now how ridiculous that thought was. I don't know who wrote it, and I'm sure they had absolutely no idea the impact such a sentence could have. It's certainly not their fault that I was triggered, but I didn't go looking for this information. It was right there in front of me on the internal network website. I also remember the set of bathroom scales in the communal locker room. And they were put there for people who were participating in this Biggest Loser competition to weigh themselves on. And it was very, very difficult for me to walk past them every single day and just see them sitting there, tempting me. I didn't participate in the competition, but several of my colleagues did. Understandably then, a lot of the chit-chat was around the subject of weight, diet and exercise. Now, there's nothing wrong with somebody wanting to improve their health and it's perfectly natural that people want to talk about their progress or to find possible reasons why they are not seeing the results they want. Maybe they want to commiserate with one another or cheer one another on or possibly there's going to be quite a few people who just enjoy the competitive element of it all. I should mention this competition gave no dietary or exercise advice. It was purely about the numbers and up to individuals to look after the rest. Managers did not stand over the contestants screaming at them and there were no tests of willpower or endurance unless you count dealing with some of the calls from the general public. It's also important to mention that at the time I was going through a relationship breakup and had already lost some weight due to a series of viral infections. My mood and self-esteem were both pretty low and joining in with the diet talk made me feel included I naively believed that, having fully recovered from my eating disorder four years prior, it was a trap I could never fall into again. Just losing a little bit couldn't hurt, and it might help me to feel better about myself. I was wrong. Again, I'm not blaming my colleagues. I made the decision to join in with those conversations. It's just that at the time I had absolutely no idea of the impact they would have and in hindsight I would tell myself not to be part of those discussions. To either walk away or change the subject. It's my responsibility to take care of my own mental health. My colleagues didn't have to censor themselves but I should maybe have put a little more thought into whether or not it was really helpful for me to be involved in this kind of chatter. 
if you find yourself in a situation where the chat does turn to subjects which could feed into your eating disorder, you don't have to listen to them. It isn't rude to excuse yourself and walk away or to tell someone that you don't want to talk about it if they try to include you in it. I know it isn't always that easy though. Workplace politics can be complex. These days, I try to remind myself that it doesn't matter what somebody else does or doesn't eat. It doesn't matter how much exercise they do or don't do. Their actions do not affect my body. They don't have the same nutritional needs, in particular when you are in recovery from an eating disorder. You probably will need more food than others. Your body has months, if not years, of repair work to do, as well as reaching a stable, safe weight. This takes a lot of energy and it takes time for your body to trust that it will receive regular, adequate nutrition. That colleague who declines the biscuit tin mid-morning may well go home and eat an entire packet of biscuits tonight. The diet or exercise plan they are sticking religiously to may be abandoned after a few weeks once they realise it isn't sustainable. If somebody is overweight and is trying to lose a bit, it doesn't mean that I have to mirror them. Of course, it isn't as easy as just letting it go over my head. It takes practice. There are still times when I'll be watching a documentary on health and the presenter will say something along the lines of, the average British adult eats X amount of calories more than they need. And that anorexic voice in my head leaps on those words. It tries to convince me that the presenter is talking directly to me, that I must cut back by that number of calories immediately. So far, I've been approaching this topic from the perspective of someone with anorexia as that is my lived experience. I do want to mention that, hard as it is for me, I imagine that for those in larger bodies, there must be an even greater feeling of societal pressure and expectation to participate in diets, exercise and weight-related goals. It's almost as though society can't grasp the fact that there may be people in larger bodies who aren't on diets, don't want to exercise, maybe don't even want to lose weight. I strongly believe that nobody should ever be made to feel bad or uncomfortable about the size or shape of their body, whatever that may be. I think with the start of a new year, we can feel the need to make these huge potentially life-changing promises to ourselves. Generally, these goals are long-term rather than short-term. And over the course of a year, so much can change in our lives which may render these promises less important or even obsolete. The whole new year, new you philosophy implies that we need to transform ourselves somehow. But why? What's wrong with the old version of ourselves? It's the new year on the Gregorian calendar, but the Chinese new year, for example, comes a couple of months later. So many people make resolutions with the best of intentions, but then quickly find they fall by the wayside. Perhaps it's because 
they've set themselves unrealistic goals. Or maybe it's as simple as their hearts are just not in it. There is so much emphasis on physical health at this time of year. But, in my humble opinion, mental health is every bit as important. I fully believe that just as we all go through patches where we are physically unwell, so we all go through times when we are also mentally unwell. Just as physical illness can be a minor cold or something major, mental illness can follow a similar pattern. It may be something mild, easily overcome with a few simple changes. It could be something far more complex and long-lasting. Perhaps, instead of focusing on physical fitness at New Year, it would be more beneficial to look at mental wellness instead, or at least as well as. It's important to keep in mind that all the health, nutrition and fitness advice, in inverted commas again, going around at this time, is not aimed at those in recovery from, or living with, an eating disorder. It is all extremely generalised, and in a few weeks, it will die down significantly. Diets will be abandoned. Real life will supersede newly implemented exercise routines. Gyms will rake in the funds from long-forgotten memberships you can take steps to protect yourself as much as possible from content and adverts which could potentially trigger you or cause setbacks. Unfollow influencers and people who do not help you to feel good about yourself and your life. This may not always be food-related. There may be people you follow who, who you admire or even real-life friends, and the relationship that you have with them is detrimental to your own well-being. And certainly, if if we're doing anything at New Year, then a clear-out is always good. And that can be a clear-out of social media contacts, as well as the old bills and receipts from, you know, 15 years ago. None of us are obligated to remain Facebook friends with somebody we haven't seen since we worked with them 10 years ago. Change the channel if you find yourself blindsided by a feature or programme on the latest fad diet or demonising of food. If someone in your life is constantly talking to you about their diet, fitness, weight loss, you can tell them that you're in recovery from an eating disorder and so it isn't helpful for you to hear about it. Most reasonable people will understand. Just because you're born into the same family as someone or you sit at the desk across from them at work, it doesn't mean you have to endure listening to them talking about things which are detrimental to you. You can politely tell them, however you choose, that it's not a topic you wish to discuss. If all else fails, you can pop your earbuds in or walk away. Eating disorders are very devious and sneaky. They will look for any excuse, no matter how flimsy, to try to beat us down and keep us within their control. As I said earlier, my body isn't affected by anybody else's decisions about what or what not to eat, how much or how little exercise they do. It doesn't matter if somebody says they've been skipping breakfast. I need to eat breakfast because that's what my body tells me it requires. 
if somebody runs 5k every morning before work, apart from where on earth do they get the time and motivation for that, it doesn't mean I can't have breakfast because I haven't done the same. Bear in mind that people in general are usually happy to discuss their successes, but perhaps a little less inclined to share their perceived failures. They may be excited to tell everyone how many pounds they lost one week, but less vocal about the week where they've gained a bit back. Magazines vie to get us to spend our money with sensationalist stories about the latest celebrity diet, weight loss aid, or images of a dramatic before and after. The purposes of these headlines are to draw us in and the articles to ensure we continue to purchase their brand. Likewise, fashion every year dictates a different set of beauty standards to us. The curvy hips of last year should now be flat and androgynous. What right does any industry have to tell us how our bodies should look? And let's be honest, if you've got a curvy physique, then trying to look thin and androgynous is going to be very difficult indeed. There are certain genetically programmed things about our body shapes and sizes that we cannot change. As I believe Tabitha Farrar says, it's like trying to turn a Great Dane into a toy poodle. It just won't work. We can't always choose what we hear, but we can choose what we listen to, what we engage with. Certainly in Britain, January can be a miserable time of year for everyone. It's cold, it's dark, and money is usually tight. The last thing any of us needs is just more stuff piled on top to make us feel even more miserable. I'm certainly not going to discourage anyone from going on a health kick, but I would urge them to consider their mental health as well as just the physical. I think the two are very much intertwined. An eating disorder is a perfect example of how poor mental health can result in poor physical health just as having poor physical health can impact on your mental well-being. There's so much focus in January in particular on the physical side of things. I really think we need to balance it up and have just as much focus, if not more, on the mental side because as a society we have got a hell of a lot of catching up to do. Now, I'm certainly not going to discourage anyone from setting themselves New Year goals or making resolutions, but I would urge you to consider carefully how realistic your goals actually are and how achievable they may be. A goal such as making 2023 the year you recover from your eating disorder in principle is fantastic, but in reality, it's a huge and multifaceted goal to have. Break it down into what is more achievable. Think about what you need to do to reach that end result and aim for those things. Have smaller, more manageable goals. Don't always go for the great big grandiose ones because sometimes it's the smaller, simpler changes that are going to have more of a lasting impact on you. Try to be realistic and set goals which you know you have some control over and therefore some hope of actually achieving. Don't set yourself up for failure. I spent way too many years doing just that. I've finally learned not to, but 
I could have learned an awful lot sooner. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you have any questions or indeed suggestions for future episodes, please feel free to get in touch. Contact details will be coming up in just a second. Take care of yourself and January doesn't have much longer to go. Spring is going to be in sight very, very soon. I'm holding on to that. Thank you for listening to this episode of my chaotic mind if you have enjoyed it it would be greatly appreciated if you could take a moment to rate review and share it with your friends it's the only way to let the world know this podcast exists if you want to get in touch you can find me on instagram at edpodcas or you can send an email to edpodcas at gmail.com I do hope that you will join me for the next episode, but until then, take care. Bye.